one final time. Good evening. We're going to be back in Genesis chapter 50. If you open your Bibles there, the 50th chapter in the book of Genesis, one last time. We're returning to this book, to this story, as we conclude our meeting and we conclude our look at this fantastic life of Joseph. We have any visitors here tonight, as I've been this week. Thank you for being here on this chilly Wednesday evening. The Lord gave us some rain today, and that was a good blessing, and we're thankful for it. Uh, there's a lot that, that needs to be said, and, and so you'll have to forgive me if I don't say everything that probably should be said. But uh, first and foremost, just thank you so very much to your shepherds. Uh, this is not saying anything that's empty. It, it was a tremendous honor to be here, and I'm so thankful to you for it. I count it a great blessing to have been here with your sheep and for you entrusting me these past few days to feed your flock from the Word of God. I, I thank you greatly. Uh, I have come here uh, with a heart that was full, but I'm telling you I'm leaving with a cup that's overflowing from your goodness. Uh, for all of you who took me out and fed me full of food, and for all of you who just offered your kind encouragement along the way, I, I believe I'm leaving far blessed uh, out of this arrangement than perhaps you are. It has been an incredible, incredible blessing to get to know you. Uh, I've heard about you for a long time, and Dad speaks of you so fondly, uh, but now I know why, and I've been able to see it and taste it for myself. And so thank you so very much. I will remember this meeting, and I will, I will remember meeting you. And so thank you for blessing uh, my life and blessing me with this week and for us journeying together in the Word of God. Uh, one of you said that when uh, the time comes, perhaps, and Dad returns, that you'll call him Jordan Shouse instead of Roger Shouse. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen, because uh, <laughs> he's my hero, and there, there's a reason that we, we love Dad, and I'm thankful that we have a bond in that. Uh, the way you see him is the way that I see him. I love your shepherds. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for, for shepherds and their wives. Uh, they go through a lot happened to, to help the sheep follow King Jesus. And I know you love them, and I know you listen to them, and I know you're thankful for them, but they need to hear that far often, far more often than what we say. And so make sure you tell your shepherds and their wives how much you love them and care for them. It has been wonderful to be with Sean and Gigi and their family. I love Sean, and I love Gigi. I love their love for the Word. I love their love for you. I love his passion for the truth that just exudes from his preaching and from his life, and it has been so good for me to spend time with him. I've needed this, and I'm thankful for your brother. You make me better, and I'm thankful for both of you and love you both for what you do. I'm thankful for our association and for your service in the Lord. I'm leaving before the rooster crows and the sun rises tomorrow morning because I've got three babies and a wife at home that I'm excited to be with again, and so I cover your prayers on the journey home. But I want you to know that I'll be praying for you and thinking of you often. I'm excited to hear about the good work going on here, and I'm excited for the day that you blow down some walls in this building and you make some more room because the saints are gathering here at Monta Vista. I'll be praying for you and thinking of you. Thank you for a wonderful, wonderful week. Have you been there before where you take the family on a vacation and not just a little trip like down to, uh, down to the mountains? I mean a big vacation. In fact, maybe you shelled out the big bucks and you took your family to the most magical place on earth down in Orlando. And you spent the whole week, and you've got the popcorn and the merchandise and the ears, and you did it all. You know, there, there are five words that can take a face that looks like this to looking like this. <laughs> it's time to go home. <laughs> and that's where we feel now. 
not only at the end of our meeting, but even in the end of the life of Joseph. We need to take this story and we need to conclude it. You know, I was doing some thinking when studying on this life of Joseph. They're the big moments in life that capture our attention, the, the big ones. You know, like, like the vacations, the big vacations, or births, or graduations, or retirements, or weddings, and we gather and we celebrate in those big moments, or even the big bad moments, the tragedies, or the storms, or the surgeries, or the accidents, or even the deaths. Those are the moments that jar us. They, they rip us out of our reality and help us to see life from a different perspective. We, we taste our mortality and we are reminded of things that matter the most. Do you realize, though, that most of life isn't that way? Majority of life is not the big moments. The majority of life is lived in the average, everyday, ordinary, day-by-day -day living. It's just a simple routine. We remember the big moments. In fact, most of our strong memories are attached to those big moments. But by and large, the way we live is just simple, ordinary, average, day-by-day -day living. When we look at the life of Joseph, we remember Joseph in the big moments. And that's oftentimes when we talk about Joseph, we look at that young man in Egypt who's facing a lot of storms. We look at the pit. We look at Egypt. We look at Potiphar's wife. We look at everything that happened early in his life because he had a lot of big moments early on. But I think sometimes we forget about the very end. Right? Genesis chapter 50 and verse 22 says, Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Just an interesting observation when you look at the book of Genesis, the very first words of the first book, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How does the first, uh, the first book end? And he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. What a perspective, isn't it? Here's Joseph. You look at verse 22. A lifetime is defined in one verse. Where we left him in our study yesterday, he was still a young man, perhaps in his 30s in Egypt. And now he has reached 110 years old. Now think of this again. When we talk about Joseph, it's all the early stuff. It's the teenage years. It's the pit. It's Egypt. It's, it's all the temptations. We don't have the commentary what took place next. After Jacob dies, then what happened? And 22 tells us life happened. Joseph grew up. Joseph grew old. Joseph continued on. Don't, don't miss what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. Sometimes when we talk about faithfulness to God, we pit it in context of grand moments. Be faithful in the storm. Be faithful to God in heavy seasons. Be faithful to God when it's difficult. Or, I just came out of a spiritual high. 
a week at camp, Bible camp, a gospel meeting, a revival, and I feel closer to God from this time of study. We talk about faithfulness to God in the big moments, but we don't think about faithfulness to God in the average everyday living. And here is Joseph, and you know what we see? We see him as a young man at 17 who's faithful to God when things are really hard. He is faithful to God and dedicated to his Lord. But then here is Joseph at 110 years old, and he's faithful to God and dedicated to his Lord. What you see in Joseph is consistent dedication, steadfast example. What you see in Joseph is a long obedience in the same direction, a lifetime of faithfulness. And I don't know about you, that's what we want. We don't just want to be faithful to God in those few minor big moments in life. We want a faithfulness that stretches over a lifetime. That whether if it's the big moments and I have to prove when it's really hard, I'm dedicated to God. But even on the everyday Thursdays that Lord willing we'll have tomorrow, I want to prove even when there's nothing demanding my schedule, even here and now I'm faithful to God. So I want us just to work these last few verses, really these last five. And just pull out just a couple of thoughts for us on this Wednesday night as we draw this to a close about what it means to have a faith that is a legacy, a blessing for all times. And I think it starts right here. One thing you see out of Joseph's faith is that it was a faith that moved forward. Verse 22, now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. What do you think about that for a moment, though? And do a little math with me. I know it's Wednesday night, but we can work a little bit. Think about the perspective of verse 22 over everything we've looked at this week. It has been over 90 years now since he was thrown into that pit. It's been over 90 years since those brothers took his coat and put him on the back of that camel and he was taken off to Egypt. It was over 90 years ago that Potiphar's wife tempted him to commit adultery. And it was over 90 years ago that he sat in that prison and waited and waited and waited. It was over 80 years that he stood before Pharaoh and interpreted those dreams. And really somewhere between 80 and 70 years that he met his father again and moved them to Egypt and enjoyed a sweet but brief reunion. That's a lifetime, isn't it? 80 and 90 years, we'd be blessed to live that long. Do you know what that shows us? Joseph faced a lot of hard times in life. But those hard times didn't define his life, nor did they end his life. He moved on. He continued to live. He continued to move forward. In fact, if you got that note card and we're looking at some things right here, you see how we move past hurt. We looked at the verse yesterday in verse 20, which says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. The hurt of Rejection, the hurt of jealousy, the hurt of unwarranted pain and bitterness from the brothers. Joseph moved past that. He was able to move on. And remember, whatever strength Joseph would have displayed in enacting revenge against his brothers did not compare to the strength he demonstrated through showing them grace and mercy when they came into his presence. He moved past that. But you also see how Joseph was able to move past disappointment. Go back to chapter 40, uh, chapter 40, the book of Genesis. Genesis 40. 
You see, when Joseph was in prison in Genesis chapter 40, he's interpreting the dreams of the two who were in prison with them, the baker and the cupbearer. And in Genesis chapter 40, after he interprets the dream of the cupbearer, and the interpretation is he's going to get out of this prison and go back into work. In verse 14 of Genesis 40, it says, Only keep me in mind when it goes well for you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. You hear that language? I'm doing something good for you. Remember me when you get out. Look at the last verse in verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. 41 in verse 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years. You had that before? Hey, remember me when, I, when you get out of here. Yeah, I, I will, I will. Surely dad will come and he'll rescue me. Surely dad will know I'm missing and he'll come rescue me. Have, have you realized something when you look back at Genesis chapter 50? And verse 20, when Joseph looked back over God using the difficult moments in this life for a greater good, and he says that God meant it for good in order to bring about a present result, that last phrase, to preserve many people alive, we stretched that yesterday to look at the grand way it includes us. But think of this again. God meant it for good in order to preserve many people alive. Do you know who that might be talking about? The cupbearer who forgot him in prison. Potiphar who threw him in jail. Perhaps even Potiphar's wife who slandered him. Joseph was able to take the pain and the disappointment of people who turned good into evil in his life and return it for good and for grace. And then right here in Genesis 50, we also see how he was able to move past grief. Not only the grief of losing his own mother, but earlier on in Genesis chapter 50, we see the lament over the loss of his father. Look at verse 10. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days of mourning for his father. Now when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore it was named Abel Miserim, which is beyond the Jordan. Do you know what that word means? It literally means beyond the Jordan. His father is now beyond the Jordan. What a rich thought when we think about those who have already gone beyond us, beyond the Jordan who've already passed beyond that river. Grief so great, even then the people in the land felt it. And he did. He moved past grief. The grief of losing people who were closest to him. I, I want you just to appreciate what this means. What, what, what we're shown here about Joseph, 110 years old. Because some of us have lost this. I, I think some of us are stuck right here. And maybe Joseph can be the example that pushes us further a little bit. Here is a man who has faced in a short amount of time more than most of us will face in a lifetime. But he didn't let it keep him from continuing to live and continuing to move forward, continuing to help and to grow and to do more. For a lot of us, when hard times come, we tend to hit pause. 
when it's the last few things about pain and difficult, uh, difficult moments and, 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 and loss, we tend to just be stuck in our mourning and our grief and our pain and we wallow in our place of suffering and we never really seem to get over it or past it. We, re we remind ourselves that either we are perpetual victims, always hurt by people and reminding people of the scars in our past, or we just always seem to be grieving, never finding any joy or hope when it's around us. In fact, sometimes what happens, if we're a lot like Joseph is, someone has wounded us or hurt us or betrayed us, and we say, that's it, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with friendships. I'm done with brethren. I'm done with people in my life. I'm done being trusting. I'm done opening up my heart. I've tried and they let me down. I had friends and they betrayed me. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Not realizing that God made us by design to be a people who need people. People who need companionship. People who need friendship. People who need people in our lives. And here is Joseph who had every reason. Think of this. He had every excuse to say, you know, I've tried trusting in people. And every single time it backfired, not just once, consistently people in my life made my life really bad. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And yet Joseph, at the end of his life, is welcoming family and friends, Egyptians, the very people who enslaved him, even his own brothers back into his life. Because here's what Joseph knew. And you and I need a good reminder of this too. His brothers needed him just as much as he needed them. You see that language in Hebrews 3, beginning verse 12, where it says, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's so called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is he saying? I need you. I need you. I need your kindness. I need your attentiveness. I need you to be watching out for me. I need you to be witnessing and looking at the fruit of my life because there may be some times that I'm really discouraged and I need you to lift me up. There may be some times I'm wrestling with some doubts and I need you to remind me of the truth of God's word. There may be some times I'm getting pulled back into sin and I need you to pull me back with conviction and truth. I need you. Just like there are going to be times when you need me too. In fact, there may be some times that it's just too great for me to lift, too heavy for me to carry the grief, the burden, the strain. But that's what the God's people do. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, the people of God, we should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That there's going to be times when it's going to be too heavy for me. My load is too great and I need your help to hold up and to withstand. Because when you're bearing your burdens too, I want to be there to be able to help you and see you along. Do you see that in Joseph? It's not that he learned to live beyond his pain. Or to even pretend it like it didn't exist. Because Genesis 15 verse 20, he spoke it. Right? He, he spoke it. You did this to me. You meant... It for evil. What you see is he had enough faith in God that allowed him to move past. And look at those things. He was able to find healing from his hurt. To speak about that pain from clarity and compassion. 
He was able to move past his disappointment with understanding of how God can take the bad in people's lives and use it for something incredible. And he was able to move past grief with hope. Because who is he mentioning in the end of this chapter? Who? I don't want you to forget Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and what all of this is about. He didn't move beyond his pain. He learned to live with it. I have right here, and I know you have these too. We're not going to do a show and tell tonight. I'll just show you mine. I got a little scar right here. And it has been with me a long time. There's nothing I can do about it. I mean, maybe there's surgery or makeup I could put over it, but it's there. And it's going with me till the day I go in the ground. Do you know what this shows me? There was something that happened that hurt. And inflicted a lot of pain. But God was stronger than this pain. And God saw me through. I will always have the reminder of it. But I'm still living. I'm just living with it. You and I have a lot of these. We have a lot of these scars. They don't end our life. We live with it. They remind us something really painful happened. But God saw you through. But God delivered you beyond it. And if God saw you through and you lived through this pain, he can see you through even greater yet to come. Joseph lived with his scars. His life didn't stop. Even to 110 years of age, he continued to press forward in his life. And we need to do so too. Don't let whatever happened yesterday keep you from living today and from whatever is yet to come. We also see in Joseph a faith that kept focus. It says in verse 23 that Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, which were born on his knees. Joseph was at this point in his life an Egyptian as much as one could be an Egyptian. It's kind of like your preacher, Sean. He doesn't come from Phoenix, but you look at the clothes he wears and the sports teams that he's supporting, you would think he was born here in Phoenix. He has become a Phoenix... Phoenixian as, as much as anyone could. Now think of this. Here's Joseph. He did not grow up in Egypt. But now he's got an Egyptian name. And he's married an Egyptian wife. And he has Egyptian kids with Egyptian names. And he has an Egyptian house and Egyptian friends. He is as much an Egyptian as anyone else could be an Egyptian. Because think of this. If he's 30 years old when he makes his way to meet Pharaoh... At least he's 17 by the first time he ends up in Egypt, and he's now 110 years old. He's been in Egypt longer than he's been anywhere else. He is an Egyptian, except, did you notice in verse 24? Do you remember what the Egyptians worshipped? Or maybe who they worshipped? Well, they worshipped the sun, and they worshipped the Nile, and they worshipped animals, and they worshipped Pharaoh. They worshipped everything that seemed to be under creation. But here's Joseph. He's an Egyptian in every sense of the word except for his faith. You can change my name. You can change my job. You can change my house. You can't change my faith. He's an Egyptian, but he still believed in God. It's what the Hebrew writer would say about he and Abraham and Jacob and that generation that all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Well, that's Joseph. He never lost sight of who it was 
that he was and why he was here. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment because this is very specific to a, to a large segment we have here. We've got some grandparents with us tonight. In fact, I think we have some great-grandparents with us here tonight. And this is for you. Verse 24 is for you. Here is Joseph, and he was able to see his great-great-grandchildren. And did you see his response on life? 110 years old, and he's not saying, you know, I've kind of done enough. I've lived a lifetime, and my goal now is to sit in my Egyptian rocker and to watch my Egyptian version of Andy Griffith until, until the Lord calls me home. That wasn't his role. Did you see what he felt as an obligation? I want my great, great grandchildren to remember something specific, and it's going to be my responsibility that they get it. You see what it is in verse 24? It doesn't matter how long you've lived here. It doesn't matter how big your house is in Egypt. It doesn't matter that you went to Egyptian schools and speak the Egyptian tongue and married Egyptian people. I want you to remember, this isn't your home. This isn't where you're going to stay. I don't want you so deeply rooted in Egypt that when those horns start blowing and those chariot wheels start turning that you don't uproot your life and you go on to where it is you're meant to be. What did we just sing? This world is not my home. I'm just a pass-through. It is the responsibility of every generation farther along than the one before it to pull us out of that reality and to help us see this world is not our home. Have you been there before? Have, have you been at a stage like perhaps where I am, a little younger in life, and you go and talk with someone who's nearer to the end and you meet with them and they say something like this. Have you heard this phrase before? You know, I'm just ready to go. I'm ready for home. That sounds so strange from our perspective because I'm not ready. It's not that I'm not ready to meet the Lord. I cannot wait to be with Jesus. But I've got three kids. I've got a young wife. I've got a mortgage. I've got a whole life of kingdom work that I have in my mind ahead of me. I'm not ready to go. Do you know what happens when you hear that and someone says, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to go. It again pulls us out of our reality to remind us, you know, we're not going to be here forever. Th this isn't it. Earth is not our home. It reminds us that we are here but a short time and we're heading somewhere far more important. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. But here's the temptation. And here's what verse 24 is trying to teach us. The longer we live on earth, the more rooted we get on our lives here, the more we tend to forget where we're going. And it is a responsibility, grandparents, great-grandparents, that you pull us out of those roots and help remind us where we're really going. To remind us to live with an eternal perspective. The eternal perspective changes everything, everything. When we live today in light of the fact that we're going to live forever there, it changes how you see everything, right? When you go home tonight, when I go home in the morning, we're going to drive to our homes. I don't know if your home is like mine, but in Dallas, you drive to your driveway, you open your door, you close your door, and that is the extent of your relationship with your neighbors uh, in Dallas. Maybe that's a better way to use in Phoenix, but here's the thing. With an eternal perspective, that changes. 
Because as Paul would say in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, we know this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is also known to your conscience. You get that guilty in there in verse 11. That was really well timed. Thank you. <laughs> Here's the thing. We may not know the names of our neighbors. God knows their name. They may not know this day is coming, but we do. And eternal perspective changes that. I must talk with my neighbors. I must make an attempt to invite, to share, to be an example and shine my light because we know we're going to be somewhere forever. The eternal perspective changes that. Even our own suffering, as Paul would make in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, he says, For momentary line affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What's he saying? I know it's bad today and it hurts today and there's mourning today, but when I get heaven in mind and eternal life in mind, it changes everything. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn. It doesn't mean that we don't grieve. It just means we don't grieve the same because we know that what is to come cannot compare with what is. That our suffering of today won't be a thing, won't matter a moment when we stand there in eternity. And I need to remind ourselves of that. And in fact, even as we're going about with the rest of this week, or the rest of this year, or Lord willing, as we're gearing up for the first of next year. This is when we do that. We look at next year and we think we have all these plans and these goals and these resolutions. But that eternal perspective puts in mind there are some things that are going to come first. There are some things that must come first. 2023 may not come, but Jesus will come. He will come. Some of my plans and dreams may never come to fruition, but I will stand before the throne of God. And these are things that must come first. Here's a faith that kept focused. I'm begging with you, senior saints. The zeal in the church is its youth. The strength in the church are the senior saints, are those of you who have walked with God for years and for years. And I'm begging of you. You have a perspective that us who are younger don't have right now. And we need you to pull us out, to unroot us from our lives so deeply entrenched here on earth and to help us see we're not going to be here long. Live today ready for eternity to come. And that's what I love most out of Joseph is that he had a faith that blessed the future. Did you notice verse 25? His request of those at that time, when Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? In fact, the only thing that the Hebrew writer mentions about Joseph is that. From Hebrews eleven twenty-two, 22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. That seems really strange. When I'm dying, pack up my bones and take them with you. Is it simply that he just didn't want to be buried in, in Egypt? You know people like that? There are some who are like, I may be living in Phoenix, but I'm from Texas. And if I die, you're taking me back to Texas. I'm not going to be buried here. Is that what's going on with Joseph? 
fact, I read once there was a man who told his family, where I die, bury me there, like wherever I die. And shortly after he did, he was a doctor on the road to go care for someone, died in the middle of the road. And so there's a small town in Massachusetts, and there is a, mo a monument in the middle of the road where he died. Well, here's Joseph saying, when it's time, I want you to take my bones with you. Is it because he just wanted to be buried in, in Canaan? You know what he's doing. You know what he's doing here. I want you to take me with you as a lasting living memorial and reminder. I don't know what Joseph knew. I don't know. It's hard to really understand how much he could foretell, but here's what he did know. When times get hard, when you get real distracted, in fact, when things get dark, when things in Egypt change, and you begin to wonder and to ponder about the promises of God, I want you to see something that reminds you you're not going to stay here long. It's not a hope, it's a promise. I want you to see my bones so that when things get dark, you'll remember there was someone years ago who believed in the promise of God. There was someone who years ago believed that God was going to keep his word so much so that he's packed up and ready to go. And if he believed it then, we can believe it today too. Do you have any of those? Do you have any bones packed up and ready to go? I think for some of us, do you have any mementos of a generation already gone past that remind you of the promises of God? Do any of you have a Bible that belonged to your parents or to a grandparent? You can see the oil from their fingers on the pages of the Bible where they read and they pressed. And you see the faith they had through this gift of this precious word given to you. Any of you have that? You have a letter that was written to you by a father or mother of the faith. And just in reading that, you're reminded. You're reminded that it was real to them and true to them. Or even maybe nothing tangible. It just Is there someone when you think about them and you go back in your mind and you bring them up in memory, just the thought of them inspires you that they lived it. This wasn't a fake to them. This wasn't a show. They really believed in God. And when I think of those from long past, it inspires me to live that kind of life today too. As the Hebrew writer would say, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Good shepherds and your fine deacons, my brother, my parents and my grandparents, this is not what we want to leave for the generation coming behind us. I want you to see out of me how real this faith is so that when times get hard and times get dark, you're going to look back to my example. You reflect back on the things that I said and the things that I left, and you'll be reminded this is real and we're not going to be here long. Just be true. Just be faithful. Just be dedicated to your God. Leave a faith that lasts a legacy for our precious children of the faith who are coming on behind us. It's not just the big moments. It's not just the pits in Egypt, the back of the camels, the temptation in the master's house, or the lonely moments in the jail. The faithfulness of Joseph was a long obedience in the same direction. Day after day, year after year, he proved to be true to his God. 
That's what we're talking about. I just want to have a faith to God that whether if it's the big moments, I prove to be true. Or if it's just a life lived in ordinary measure, even then, even at work or at school or in the small days at home, my heart belongs to God. My life is given to Him. Did you see here in our context two things he says? He says the same thing two times. And that's what I want to leave with you. He says the same phrase two times. And I believe this phrase is one of the most precious and beautiful and perfect summaries of Joseph's life. Two times he says to his great-great-grandchildren, God will surely take care of you. Could you better summarize the life of Joseph? God will surely take care of you. When I think about the pit and my brothers and being taken so far from home, when I think about Potiphar's wife, I think about being thrown in jail and the uncertainty of being lost and forgotten in such a dangerous place. When I think about standing before Pharaoh, and then years of life passing by, if there's one thing I could tell to you, it's this. God will surely take care of you. We have such a faithful and true God. And what Joseph asks is, in light of how faithful our God is to us, just be faithful and true to your God. Keep leaning on the Lord. I don't know what's yet before us, good brethren, but I know God will take care of you. I don't know what storms are yet on the horizon, but I know that God will take care of you. I don't know how long we have left on this earth, but I know however long, however long it will be, God will take care of you. I don't know what stepping through that door is going to be like when we step through the final door into eternity. But I know and I trust that God will take care of you. Just be faithful and true to him. Live that long obedience in that same direction. If you've not started that journey tonight, tonight you need to do so right now, right this very moment. That you need to confess Jesus as Lord, to turn away from your sin and to put him on in baptism, leaving here heaven bound and a child of God. But for the children of God here tonight, the children of the God who has promised to take good care of us, I leave you with the words, my favorite words from one of my favorite hymns. Let us then be true and faithful, brethren, at the Monta Vista Church, trusting and serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay. When we get to heaven, Brethren, what a day rejoicing that will be. Because when we see Jesus, you and I, we will sing and we will shout the victory. Just keep walking with your king. If we can help tonight anyway, let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing.